This episode of Branching Out is brought to you by Levi Gelino and United Agencies Insurance. Welcome to Branching Out, a podcast presented by the reporters and editors of the Acorn Newspapers, offering you a closer look at the news in your community. Welcome. Oh, I don't have the input monitor turned on. We're a professional, <laughs> professional organization. Welcome to another edition of Branching Out. It is Monday, March 12th. Uh, not March. If I say it's March, <laughs> it's March. Okay? Everyone turn your calendars back. It is Monday, April 12th. I am uh, just returning from vacation, which you can tell I desperately need, because <laughs> we are actually recording this April 2nd, um, because I'm on vacation this week, and normally we do things on Fridays. My name's Ian Bradley. I'm a reporter for the Acorn newspaper, joined, as always, by... Kyle Jory, editor of the Thousand Oaks Acorn. So, uh, on today's episode, we are discussing climate change on a local level, which is really cool, because climate change is sort of a big, nebulous problem that's hard to address, and so, you know putting stuff in the recycling and biking when you could and when you can instead of driving your car is a good way to go. But we've got we've got a guest on today who's going to she's addressing stuff at a city level. Tell us about it. Yeah. So we wanted to do this and a shout out to Allison for for the great idea Allison Montroy uh, because it is Earth uh, Day coming up and really Earth Month. I wanted to have on Kat Selm. Kat is a member and a founding member of the Conejo Climate Coalition who a year ago I had no idea who they were, and that's because they didn't exist. Uh, this is a group that formed during the pandemic and has just hit the ground running, being active on, uh, I see them at, I mean, literally every Thousand Oaks City Council meeting. I hear them coming up in the discussions. Uh, the th- city is going through a major general plan update, and this group is is making their point really clear, and they're being advocates, and they're that squeaky, what is the term, squeaky wheel? Uh, gets the grease. That makes it sound like they're, gonna, they're a problem. No, no. I'm, they're just, they've tapped into this ability to get into meetings and zoom in. And they're, you know, they're getting their points across when it comes to climate. So I wanted to have her on to share about how the group formed, uh, what they're pushing for. And really, like you said, this big, how can they make a difference on a local level and, and why that? She makes some great points about... <sighs> You can't look too you can't look too far from home to solve these problems. So, like state and federal laws and resolutions and stuff are great, but really, it's a matter of tailoring things local. The, she it's a real she says some really great stuff that kind of expands on that idea of think global, act local. Yeah, and the the coalition is doing a great job of that. So, um, we did record this via Zoom, so uh, the audio should be fine. But we also haven't heard it yet because fingers just crossed. Yeah, but let's get to it. Kat, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Yeah. Yeah, Kat, uh, for people that aren't familiar, it's it's a fairly new group. Can you tell us a little about the Caneo Climate Coalition, uh, how you formed and uh, what you, how, how you guys are active? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, we formed actually during the pandemic, which is kind of crazy. And, you know, that's just a testament to technology nowadays that you can still be active locally in politics. Um, So we formed late last year in response partially to the general plan update and the climate and environmental action plan that the city of Thousand Oaks is currently undertaking. And we call those the GPAC and the CAP. So if you hear me use those acronyms, that's what they mean. 
And some of our members are from other groups like the Chalice Climate Action Team and the Citizens Climate Lobby. And we kind of realized that we needed something local to address um, climate impacts as a, in regards to the CAP and the GPAC. And so that, that was kind of how we started. And we think that this is the best time for the citizens of Thousand Oaks to be dreaming about what, what kind of future they want here. And so we really are focused on getting community members engaged in this process. Um, and then, you know, as far as like personally, what's kind of guided us, a lot of our members feel personally impacted by climate change. So things like the mega fires and having to evacuate multiple times a year, you know, which is just par for the course nowadays. And then things like childhood uh, asthma induced by natural gas in the home. So those types of um, experiences that our founding members have had have really driven them to to become activists, whereas maybe we don't always, you know, identify as environmentalists, it's a personal issue. It's becoming a personal issue for, for everyone. Um, so that's kind of our driving force behind coming about. How many people are involved in this? And then, so we can get a, and then how'd you guys meet? I'd like to get a sense of the scale. Yeah, well, we're still really young. So I'd say that we have, uh, gosh, on Twitter, we have a decent amount of followers. I think we're in the hundred maybe. Um, and then, we're getting some traction on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we don't have like uh, public meetings yet. We're, we're going to work towards that. So right now it's really just the founding members that are meeting. And there's like, I don't even know off the top of my head, but I think there's like seven of us. And I was trying to remember like how it actually happened. How did I meet people during the pandemic on Zoom? And I think it was just connections. Like um, the 350 Climate Hub is a really active group. And the person who runs that um, it, it knows everyone. You know, she's very well connected. And so she kind of put us all together in a room and said, these are the people who want to do this and let's let's get it going. And, and it just kind of took off from there. You, you made an interesting point about I don't know if stigma is the right word, but there is certainly an attitude towards like there are people who are resistant to even admitting that climate change is a thing. Like you said, environmentalism versus activism and kind of rallying people to the cause. And maybe I think there's something to be something to explore as far as the language that's used to do that. Cause like you say, like environmentalism versus activism are saying we're fighting climate change versus we're stopping wildfires. Might mm -hmm. one of those might turn people off more than the other. Can you speak to how you're, is there, are you guys, is this something you guys are cognizant of? Is it, are you working to appeal to the broadest group of people through language like that? Like what's. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, like I mentioned before, like, so one of our biggest rallying cries lately, uh, you know, in addition to the GPAC and the CAP and all of that work, we're, we're really focused on natural gas in the home because it's a public health issue and it's a safety issue. And it is related to climate because it's our second largest emission source in the city of Thousand Oaks is natural gas. Um, but aside from that, you don't have to be an environmentalist to be concerned about whether your apartment's going to explode, your child's going to get asthma, um, you know, or you're going to get carbon monoxide poisoning in your sleep. Like you don't have to be an environmentalist to care about those things. And so I think building a broader coalition is going to be absolutely critical and, and not isolating people based on their, their status of being an environmentalist or not. Okay. For, for people that aren't, um, you know, that familiar with the general plan and we won't go into exactly what it is, but most people I think think of it as housing streets, roads. I don't know if they immediately think about climate when they think about the general plan, which of course is 
Uh, Thousand Oaks is doing it, but several cities in Ventura County right now are updating their general plans. Can you explain for the layman uh, how, why your group felt like this particular opportunity in this planning process uh, needed a real voice for climate uh, concerns? Sure. You know, another sort of charge that we lead here is that, or that I lead anyway, like I, I personally think that climate change impacts every element of our lives. It's it's our agriculture, it's um, transportation. It, it is or it will impact every aspect of our lives. And, and so does the GPAC, you know, right? It's, it's what you said, it's transportation, it's housing. Um, so if you don't come at it with a climate change lens, I mean, first of all, you're not really future-proofing the city because you have to think about impacts like wildfire, like you just mentioned. So, I, you know, I'm really... Uh, heartened by the fact that that climate action plans are actually required by the state now. I think that that is is so uh, important. And so the CAP and the GPAC are kind of working in tandem um, on similar things. And city council actually, um, you might have been at this meeting, but they they responded to our uh, request to have stricter emissions reductions to um, by saying, well, we're going to keep our reduction that, that we want, but if you come to us with a strong plan, with a strong CAP and a GPAC that gets us to where we want to be, then we'll have more emissions reductions. So they kind of like put us at a challenge of like, mm -hmm. can you do this? And so, you know, we're kind of taking the challenge head on and, and thinking about ways we can cut, reduce our emissions in the, the planning. The climate is such a big global issue and I think what's neat about your group is you are kind of getting it down to the local level at the real micro level what kind of things are you pushing for that a, a, city, a city like Thousand Oaks which is not a huge city but uh, um, can make and changes that's going to have an impact I mean it's got to be a cumulative thing right and you mm -hmm. guys focus right now on, on what thousand what can a city do what I think a city can do more than a lot of other governments can, actually. Um, I think that cities are taking lead in climate action worldwide, and I could point you to some sources on that if you want. But, um, you know, I think partially because cities are more nimble than state and federal governments, and they're also just more in tune with what's going to work. You know, I, I hear a lot about, like, people not being satisfied with uh, legislation coming out from, from Sacramento that isn't catered to your community. Well, you know, state or local policy is where you can really tweak it to be like, what's going to be palatable for people? What is going to work for us as a community? Um, you know, and in addition to that, like you said, cumulatively, so um, 42 cities and counties in California have already mandated all electric and new construction. And that sends a huge message to the state and the feds. And, you know, California, we're basically a whole country, you know, we're like the sixth largest economy. So what we do matters on a global stage. And so if all these cities banding together have this kind of influence in Sacramento, like imagine the influence we can have around the world. So I, I think it's where it's at. And it's also kind of the most exciting space because you can get to know your council members, your planning commission, you know, and then you see them on the street. Like, it's cool. Like you can get connected to the community. A, a myriad of issues. People tend to undervalue the power of local government. I mean, we see it in election stuff all the time, people complaining mm -hmm. about this, that, or the other, or development projects. And it's like, it's, it's on you as a citizen. So like you say, there's yes. a nimbleness to, city, to cities that states don't have, where it's the bigger you get, the more blanket it is. So I, I think addressing, like, and like Kyle said, climate is such a global thing and such a hard to fathom thing. Localizing it to natural gas emissions in our city and apartments exploding really <laughs> kind of drives home the need for it to be addressed. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, but look how your group has already had, like you said, you know, if you try to approach Sacramento, do you think you'd get this kind of response? Like you're literally already having an impact on the process just by your presence and your advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, are you surprised at how quickly the city has at least started to, feels like they're listening and, and taking into consideration what you're saying? Mm -hmm. I think so. And I mean, to be honest, like I've lived in a lot of other places and I love Thousand Oaks. And one reason why I love Thousand Oaks is it it is a very sustainably minded city. I see that, you know, I, I see the sustainability department as being like just ahead of its time and the things we're doing with the Hill Canyon treatment plant and, you know, the solar storage on municipal parking structures and it's very forward thinking. So I think this is a place where people have an appetite for this. Um, and, and if you, if you're talking about, you know, wildfires, let's go back to that topic for a second. Like, um, the types of things that we're interested in, like microgrids, you know, they also produce resiliency in the face of power safety shutoffs. And so, you know, back to the whole thinking locally uh, or thinking globally, acting locally, you know, that is a solution for Thousand Oaks for a situation that we specifically face that also reduces our emissions. So it's kind of a win-win. Like we're thinking about how to synchronize what we want and what the community needs. Our sponsor this week is Levi Jeleno and United Agencies Insurance. Levi loves business insurance so you don't have to. He can help businesses of any size with workers' comp and liability insurance, but he also recognizes the average branching out listener might not need his services, so he's doing something pretty cool. Levi's donating the rest of his ad time to a local nonprofit he's passionate about, Interface Child and Family Services. Headquartered in Camarillo, Interface provides critical services to children and families across Ventura County. In 2020, Interface provided 160 families affected by domestic violence with safe shelters and also provided over 10,000 hours of mental health counseling and support. To donate or for more information on Interface Child and Family Services, please go to www.icfs.org. For any insurance questions imaginable, email Levi at levi at ua-insurance.com. Can you speak to... Um is this your first foray into community organizing or organizing in general? Like what's your background? Can you give us a little bit of info there? It is. Yeah. Um, I'm a biologist, you know, no surprise there. Um, <laughs> but now I'm a natural resource manager for a large environmental nonprofit. So I do have an environmental background. Um, but I, yeah, I haven't really been into community organizing yet, but I find that it's, it's really, um, it quenches an appetite that I didn't even really know that I had. And it also mm -hmm. makes me feel better about um, the state of the world. So I think that there's a lot of younger people. I don't know if I'm considered young anymore, but there's a lot of young people who feel um, pretty betrayed by, I think, older generations. And they feel nervous about the future and what it holds for them. Uh, you know, climate change is a generational issue. It, it really is. And like every environmental issue is a generational issue usually. But um, so I think that getting active and feeling productive is kind of the way that I cope with life. So yeah. if, I don't know if that helps younger people maybe listening to this, but like if you're feeling scared about the future, you know, getting involved with what your community is doing right now is going to impact your life and the lives of the people that you love around you. Can I ask you to expand on that a little bit? Cause like you say, it is a generational thing, but young people are not known for their, um, foresight necessarily, or, you know, their, their interest in looking forward. So this is kind of stuff that you don't really think about until it comes time, like 
for you to start looking to like buy a house or like settle that, like you're responsible for your life and you know, adulthood and stuff. And that's when you start realizing like, Oh, the polar ice caps are melting. Like we're all screwed. <laughs> Horrible things are going to happen. What I'm asking is, are you doing anything to en- entice lo- younger locals into getting involved with your program to get people at a younger age saying like, we need to be more aware of this locally because city, city bureaucracy, especially is mm-hmm. not sexy even to, even to us. And it's our job. <laughs> so speak for yourself. How, I was yeah. going to say, I disagree. <laughs> well, but the, like, it's hard to, it's hard community development forms, stuff like that, it doesn't get a big turnout, especially sure. from kids. So like, what are you guys doing anything to try and get younger people involved in this, aware of this, get them passionate about solving this problem on a local level? Well, first off, Ian, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree that younger generations aren't um, concerned about climate change or I, I feel like this generation is yes. more active than, than mine is. You know, I, I feel like they're woke i guess is the term <laughs> like very woke. I, I, yes I, I i that's a mistake on my part you're right climate change is the big thing is the one uniting issue for younger people but even so i think there's still a, a faction well, a fa- there it's still I, not please help me save me for myself I think what he's saying is that, I mean, I, he and I cover a lot of council local government meetings and they do tend to trend a little bit older. People that not only are on the boards themselves, but the people that are showing up and speaking at meetings. Mm-hmm. And you said it first, I mean, and I would definitely say you are younger. Um, tell us, you know, about that. Are you finding a lot? Does your, does your group have a wide age range or do you have, is it mainly younger people and are you getting... Yeah. So we do have a little bit of younger representation, um, one member at least. And we also do, so I have a couple of things, a couple of thoughts to add, uh, um, but just real quick, I'll give a plug for Fridays for Future. That's uh, Greta Thunberg's group. And we have a local Thousand Oaks chapter that was started by me and a friend, but we're also not, you know, the age group that usually is targeted by FFF. And so we're finding younger people to lead that group. And so now we're just participating. But if anyone wants to find us on um, Fridays for Future Thousand Oaks on Instagram, you can figure out where we're going to be and, and come join socially distanced with masks on. But um, so just wanted to give a little plug for that. I, I totally see what you're saying about city council meetings. And I think part of it is that it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work to expect a student who was at school all day to then sit in for four hours to wait to give a three minute comment. You know, it's just tough. It, it's hard for me having a full time job, you know. So I think that you find retired people usually doing that kind of work because they have the time to that. And I mean, I think Thousand Oaks, I don't know the exact demographics, but I feel like generally generationally speaking, it's a little older than some other cities in Ventura County. So I think you kind of have those situations going on. But what I've noticed in doing Fridays for Future is that there is a big appetite among um, you know, freshmen in college and high school seniors and stuff to get more active locally. And so we hope that we can be that olive branch to get those groups involved. You know, that's, that's why I'm really happy to talk to you guys today because I want to get us out there and, and let people know that there is a group that's doing this kind of stuff if you're interested. And you don't have to sit in on four hours of city council meetings. You can write a letter or you can come to one of our meetings and figure out other ways you can get involved, you know. Yeah, you know, that, that brings me to the point, and I've had discussions with our city manager, and he's just so excited about, you know, even, he, I'm sure he'd love to have uh, council meetings live again and, and everything like that, but he talks about just how Zoom and the ability to, to, to tap into a meeting that way has brought meetings to a wider audience and brought more people into public comments that wouldn't have gone before. 
would mm-hmm. you say that's the case for you? If, if this, say the pandemic never happened, I mean, I guess it speaks to where the group would have been formed, but would you have been at council meetings in person or was there something about Zoom that really helped get you involved? I think I would have been at less of them. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> it's probably a weird omission, but like when you're waiting for your turn to speak, if you're at home, you can still do the dishes, you could maybe get a little workout in, like you could do other things. But if you're sitting at a city council meeting, it's going to be an hour, you're going to be hungry, you're maybe going to be angry by the end. I mean, <laughs> I really support um, the Zoom platform. But that being said, you know, it is not all inclusive. Like there's definitely some some barriers to access when it comes to that. And, you know, I'm really heartened to see city council provide translation services, but, you know, there's some bandwidth problems all, all across the board for some lower income folks. So um, I think that as inclusive as it is, there's also downsides to it that we need to think about. Yeah. I think you made a perfect point that hopefully going forward, we're going to get some kind of hybrid mix of, uh, of both where you can zoom in, make a comment, but if you can go in person and, and speak that way, you should be able to do that as well. That's a great idea. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. I think, and I think that's what I think for at least I'm going to see a thousand Oaks. I think that's where they're going, which leads me to think other cities will be doing the same. Um, mm-hmm. for, uh, so going forward, some important dates, can you kind of share if people hear this and they're excited about the group or want to get involved or just are excited about what's going on in Thousand Oaks with a general plan update? I'm mm-hmm. sure you're kind of an expert on this. There's some important dates coming up that people can get involved. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't have the dates in front of me, but I can tell you that the next um, CAP meeting, which is a climate and environmental action plan, that's one where I think we could use way more diversity of voices and younger voices. Please come to those meetings, even if you're just watching them on YouTube. Those are really important where we're deciding, um, not we, but the stakeholders and and the community are are discussing with staff um, what kinds of environmental issues are of concern to the people of Thousand Oaks and how to address them. So the next one I think is a pretty broad, big one. I think it's on like water. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell everyone to first off, go to our website, conejoclimate.org. Follow us on all social because we're posting, you know, every day, every other day about this is what you can do today. This is the meeting you should go to. So we'll keep you up to date. But also if you go to the TO2045 um, website, so the general plan update 2045 website that'll give you some dates and then the sustainability office has a website as well which is where you can find out about the CAP meetings and I'm sorry I don't have those off the top of my head no no we'll throw them in the show notes yeah okay how often does that group meet is that monthly the climate coalition yeah the the climate um the meetings you just mentioned the CAP oh the the CAP um I think it's been once a month while we're drafting the CAP yeah Okay. And they're, you know, they're really informative. Like you learn a lot about where our emissions are coming from, what the city's already done to address, you know, certain elements like electricity. And um, so, you know, if nothing else, it's just kind of a way to get informed on what the sustainability office is up to. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, Thousand Oaks is, you know, in, in California, obviously as a whole has just been way ahead of so many other places, states. Um, so given that, I mean, when you look at the city of Thousand Oaks, you mentioned the natural gas area um, emissions. Where are, where are we doing really well? And where is there still room for improvement, Kat? Um, yeah, so. that's a good question. So the the way I see it, and I think the sustainability office would agree, is that, you know, our two, because they, they did an emissions inventory pretty recently. 
And, and the two largest sectors are transportation, which, ouch, that's a tough one for us to address because um, that requires, you know, electric cars, basically, and more charging stations and natural gas. And so natural gas is, a, is one that we can actually address in, in large ways, um, one of them being new buildings being required to be all electric as opposed to putting in natural gas pipelines that are going to be um, obsolete in the next 10 to 15 years. So that's one major charge that we have. And I'd like to call attention to, we have a campaign on our website called Turn Off the Gas. If you want to go there and sign up, it's to tell local mayors, city council, and board of supervisors that we want all new construction to be all electric in Ventura County. So it's a larger than just Thousand Oaks campaign, but it's something that we really feel is um, a relatively painless and straightforward way to chip away at some of those emissions. And, you know, the, the benefits of it are, you know, more affordability, to be honest, for the tenants who are living there. Your, your electricity, electricity costs are going to be cut down. You're going to have less um, health and safety hazards and you're future proofing the building because, you know, at some point, not to, not to put in a scare tactic, but at some point we're going to be retrofitting buildings, you know, to address climate change in this country. And so why are you building something that is going to be obsolete? So that's, you know, something that we're really championing. Um, and I'd love have any cities done that yet? In Ventura yeah. County? Okay. Uh, well, okay. Oh, hi. Um, they just passed uh, an ordinance and then Santa Barbara is working on one. Um, Northern California has had more luck because, you know, to be honest, um, uh, PG&E has, has fought less. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm probably not making any friends here on this podcast, but our, uh, our local um, company is a bit more aggressive with trying to reduce this um, movement of building electrification. So we have a little bit of a, a ch- uh, battle ahead of us potentially um, that we're anticipating, but we think that, that it's, uh, it's a pretty low bar to something that's beneficial for the people of Thousand Oaks. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? I think I yeah. went off topic. Yeah. No, no, you're fine. That was, we that fully was- endorse. We fully endorse scare tactics on branching out. So feel free to terrify our audience, please. Oh, gosh. No, climate activists have been doing that way too much. I don't want to be that person. Yeah, it seems. Tell me about your social media. I mean, that's, I think, with any organization right now that's always at the forefront um, and getting your message out, getting uh, attention and getting you know people to follow and learn about you. Is, are you doing it all yourself? Is it a group effort? You guys are you me? on TikTok? <laughs> No, we don't have a TikTok. We just have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And yeah, we're doing it all ourselves. And we try to coordinate as much as possible our messaging. I think the the focus of Facebook, at least for me anyway, is mostly um, just alerts. Like, hey, there's a meeting coming up. Um, you know, and then once we get our newsletter going, I think that's going to be more a push of like, we want people to write comments or we want people to show up in force or come to our rally or whatever, you know, the action item may be. Uh, but that's kind of how we treat social right now. Yeah, it's all volunteer. Let's be clear. I mean, this is all you guys are doing yes. on, your, on your free time. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's another part-time unpaid job. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, I got to say, you know, I, I wanted to have you on because I've just noticed the groups so quickly, you know, having an impact, making a difference. And, you know, I do notice, you know, younger younger faces because you are, I will call you younger if that's okay. Um, oh, thank you. But, uh, but also, you know, you took the time to write a letter to the acorn. It, it seems kind of goofy, but it's so neat to see younger 
people get involved in even engaging that way. I mean, you know, everyone says just post it on social media. Uh, but that, that I got a kick out of that. Hopefully you got some response uh, from, you know, we like to think a lot of people read the acorn letters. Yeah, we, we write a lot of LTEs. I don't know if you've noticed. And then we have some in the star, uh, like op-eds and stuff. So we, we really think that's a great way to reach, you know, a, a certain swath of people, the people who actually <laughs> read letters to the editor. But um, yeah, that and social. And then we also have the petition I told you about speaking at city council meetings and then, uh, you know, doing some lobbying, like meeting with city council members and developers and other NGOs. So we're really taking a, a, a large approach to a large problem because that's what's needed. Yeah, wow. Very impressive. Very impressive. Well, hey, given that you're doing all this, uh, I know Ian will say the same thing. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Introduce, Very much. Introduce our audience uh, to the Caneo Climate Coalition. I think you already uh, social uh, and the website, but maybe you want to do it one more time, Kat. For you yeah, sure. Um, you can find us on conejoclimate.org. You can read about all of the, the things that we're active in and our vision for Thousand Oaks for the general plan update. Um, come to CAP and GPAC meetings and then find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Conejo Climate. Awesome. Well, hey, all right. thank you again so much for your time, Kat. Thank Great you. to meet you. Hopefully we get a meet in person here soon once uh, things get better. Yeah, someday, someday soon. All right. Waiting for that shot. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. She was great. I learned a lot. I mean, the natural gas question, I that's kind of, you know, I, obviously I understand emissions and the role it's played, but didn't really think about it uh, from a, a city standpoint and doing away with it. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to learn more about it, but you can see that that's something their group has really seized on is because I think they feel they can make a difference. And, yeah. and that's what's neat. Um, it's a big, big problem. And this group seems to be going real practical solutions. What can we really impact and, and going for it? So, yeah. Uh, I also want to call myself out. I think I had my first like old aging person moment where I was like, kids today don't care about things. And it's like, shut up. She nope. corrected you quick. She did. She did. And I, des I deserve to be like, yeah, as soon as she answered, I was like, oh, God, you're having that moment of like, you're, you're five minutes away from get off my lawn, <laughs> um, which is ironic because I'll never own property. Thanks for tuning in. Big episode next week. Uh, we're very excited to we're going to be having on State Senator Henry Stern. I'm going to be off next week. So Ian will be welcoming back the always magnanimous John Losing, the voice of branching out the intro. And of course, one of our great interviewers to speak to the state senator, find out what he's working on, uh, just the latest on big state issues. Continuing the theme of wildfires, uh, Stern has definitely made his name in terms of environmental awareness. Yeah. And he, for those of you who don't know, he did lose his home in the Woolsey fire. He got to be kind of unpopular uh, relatively recently for voting against a housing bill because his concern was density. He was one of the he had family members who were in on PCH the day the Woolsey fire broke out who were just stuck in those car in that like one way snarl of traffic. And he's saying if we keep building housing out here, that's only going to be more of a problem. Yeah. The, the climate has always been um, Senator Stern's number one issue yep. since before he was elected. Obviously, his connection to Fran Pavley, that's been his really his calling card. So excited to hear what he has to say about some of these issues. And I, I want to be clear, he was just unpopular with other legislators. Oh, I yeah. think some yeah, yeah. local people were happy that he voted that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great, it's these two worlds kind of colliding versus climate versus the need for housing. Yeah. And how someone like... Um, uh, Henry Stern is, is, is kind of navigating those waters. I think that'll be real interesting. So definitely tune in for that. Yeah. All right. Well, we are done for the week. 
I guess. Yeah, because we're recording this early. We never record early. <laughs> Uh, my name is Ian Bradley. I'm a reporter for the Acorn newspaper. You can find me online at Ian underscore reports. This is Kyle Jory, editor of the Thousand Oaks Acorn. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle B. Jory. Uh, one pitch uh, to go out and check out some of our older episodes. You can find them through at Branching Out Pod on Twitter. All the links are there. Check them out. If you've missed some, please go back and listen to them. Uh, we'd love to have you. Branching Out is produced by Allison Montroy and associate producer David D.L. Lopez and brought to you by the Acorn.